Week one is only 10 days away. The Seahawks will soon be facing Russell Wilson and the Broncos on Monday Night Football at Lumen Field. How do the Seahawks look from a fantasy perspective? I'll be diving in at NFL.com's 2022 projections on a jam-packed Blue Friday episode of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's happening, 12? This is your host, Corbin Smith, here for the Locked on Seahawks podcast. Thanks to all the 12s for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. It's a late Blue Friday show. Going to be tackling your questions in a second mailbag segment for this week. No game this weekend to cover. More opportunity to dive in. Some really good questions coming from many of our listeners on today's show. And since we're 10 days away from the start of the regular season, it's Fantasy Friday. Going to be taking a look at NFL.com's projections for the 2022 season, a number of Seattle's key offensive players, as well as where the defense stacks up compared to the rest of the league. This episode is brought to you by Bet Bet BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. This time of year, it's not abnormal to see teams move on from high draft picks. Not every first, second, third round selection works out. In fact, a large majority of them end up playing for another team before they get to the end of their first contract. That was the case for Jabari Zuniga, who previously played at the University of Florida, was a third round pick for the New York Jets in the 2020 NFL Draft. And Zuniga was an interesting case study coming into the NFL. His overall production at Florida was pretty impressive. Playing in the SEC, 116 tackles, 18 and a half sacks, 33 tackles for loss. He did have a second-team All-SEC selection from coaches in 2016. Was not an all-conference selection, though, his last three years at Florida, even though his numbers were pretty good. In most of those seasons, he was injured for most of his senior campaign and only played in six games. But this is a player that brings a lot of intangibles to the table. Six foot three, 264 pounds, ran a 464 40-yard dash, had a 29 bench press rep performance, 33-inch vertical jump, 127-inch broad jump for a 264-pound pass rusher. He put up some really good numbers at the 2020 NFL Combine. And remember, this was shortly before the COVID-19 shutdown took place. So he was one of the players that still was able to get a really good workout. And the Jets were impressed. They drafted him at number 79 overall. And unfortunately for Jabari, ever since then, it's been downhill. Things simply did not work for him in New York. He played in eight games his rookie season. Injuries have been the biggest issue. And you see that a lot with players that flame out with their original team. More times than not, injuries play a key factor in that. A lot of times it limits development, prevents the player from being able to truly immerse themselves in the scheme. And I think that those are some things that happened to Zuniga in New York. Was just not able to carve out a consistent role. Had no sacks in his rookie season playing those eight games. And last year, he was on the practice squad for most of the season. He was waived by the Jets in early September in just his second season, they were already ready to somewhat move on from. They did bring him back in the practice squad, continuing to believe maybe there was a chance he could turn things around. And he had a sack in the three games that he played in late in the season, mostly as a practice squad game day elevation 
But again, only played in three games. You get a sack and three tackles out of him. And he had in 90 pass rushing snaps his first two seasons, two total pressures, just two. So this is a player that when he has played has been non-existent, a sub 35 overall grade against the run his rookie season. So he really struggled at that capacity. It just was a nightmare for him in New York. But the reason that I'm bringing this player up again, you look at the numbers he put up in the SEC playing for the Florida Gators, and he was a star for his four years playing in the swamp. And he's got all the physical tools, a really good athlete at 264 pounds that should be a fit playing as a 3-4 outside linebacker. This is one of those flyers that you take a look at and you open your eyes a little bit because you know that the talent is there. More times than not, players like this that bounce around with mobile teams and then they end up on practice squads, more times than not, that doesn't end up working in favor of the new team. But there have been rare examples where that has happened, where players have been able to come in and resurrect their career a little bit. And he's only 25, just turned 25. So this is still a very young player that you have to believe looking at what he did in the preseason, just preseason games, but a 15.3% pressure rate in the three preseason games for the Jets. He was productive, had one game with five pressures and a sack for the Jets in the preseason, but they added some new pieces there. So there wasn't a spot for him in the rotation and the way the first two years went, he already was against the wall anyway. So this is a player that really did need a change of scenery. I think you look at Seattle's practice squad in general, they were able to bring back Joshua Oniego. They were able to bring him back to the practice squad after being released on Wednesday. So you've got two pass rushers that are in that 255 to 260 range that have good size, good athleticism, and they were productive in the preseason. So you got two players that you're really excited about that maybe can contribute for you down the line this season, and one of them being a former third-round pick, the other one coming from a Division three school, so it took much different routes to Seattle, but certainly two players that fit their scheme, and if they can stay healthy, especially in the case of Zuniga, if he can stay healthy, that gives him a chance to be able to maybe down the road play some snaps for the Seahawks. So I'm intrigued by this addition. This is one of those moves that it could end up being a case where he's in the practice squad for a week or two and then he gets cut. We've seen the Seahawks do that with former high draft picks fairly often in the John Schneider era. They'll move on, go get another player, or it's possible week one, week two, that he's getting a practice squad elevation to the game day roster if he makes an immediate impression. And Seattle certainly could use some reinforcements there. Alvin Robinson de dealing with a PCL sprain, and they don't have Tyreek Smith for the entire season. The fifth-round pick is out with a hip injury. So with those injuries in consideration, depth may be a little bit of a concern for the Seahawks. Boy, Mafe's coming off a shoulder strain too. So a player like Zuniga has a chance to come in if he can learn the defense real quick, at least as a situational rusher, that might not take very long. You keep him healthy if he's 100%, might be able to play him some snaps early in the season. So a lot of really intriguing additions to Seattle's practice squad. Most of these players were with the team in training camp, but this is one of those outside additions that at least gets you a little bit excited because you know, the talent that this kid brings to the table, if he can put it together and just – take advantage of this 
fresh start playing with a different team and a different system, maybe he can be one of those guys that truly does make a difference and he can jumpstart his career a little bit. Only 25 years old, great opportunity for him. It's a good chance for the Seahawks to take a flyer on a player that's got talent that things haven't worked out for. Again, more times than not, that doesn't necessarily translate to that player turning things around on the 53-man roster, but there have been instances where that's been the case. Even Deion Jordan in Seattle had a decent season with four sacks in five games his first year with the team, and he was out of the league for a few years. This is a much different situation with Zuniga, a player who they liked in the pre-draft process, and now maybe have a chance to get him onto the field potentially for them this year, rushing the quarterback. Up next, it is Blue Friday, second time this week without a game coming up this weekend. First time in a long time the Seahawks won't be playing on a weekend going to be answering your questions our second mailbag segment of the week looking forward to it some really good questions coming from the 12s i'll be answering those here in a moment betonline.net is your number one source for all your favorite pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season find all the latest football league developments game matchups news and podcasts including this year's opening weeks of games betonline is also your continued source for all your sporting and wagering information including live betting esports and scores the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events including mlb mma boxing and golf head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action bet online where the game starts you're listening to the blue friday edition of locked on seahawks i'm your host corbin smith thanks as always to the 12s out there for making locked on seahawks your first listen five days a week it's going to be a long time till the Seahawks are not playing starting next weekend they'll have their season opener against the Denver Broncos on Monday night football and then they're not off again until after their game in mid-November in Munich against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers so it's going to be a long time till there's a weekend without Seahawks football this will be the last one we have for a while no game to cover this weekend so why not get a second mailbag segment and without further ado a lot of good questions from you the 12s let's get to it our first question here coming from Ryan W. Do you see Blake Martinez as a potential target for the Seahawks due to their lack of inside linebacker depth? This is a really good question. And you're talking about a player that has been a proven inside line linebacker for a number of years, played with the Packers early in his career in a 3-4 defense, had a really productive season for the Giants just two years ago, 151 tackles for the New York Giants two years ago. He missed most of last season with a torn ACL, getting to be a little older player. But I certainly think that this is somebody the Seahawks should take a look at because he does have familiarity playing in a 3-4 defense. Not the same style necessarily that Green Bay ran for a number of years that he was playing there, but he has played a lot of snaps at 3-4 defense like the Seahawks are leaning towards. He's played in a 4-3 as well. He is coming off that injury. It was a surprise for a lot of people that the Giants decided to move on from Martinez, who has been extremely productive. This guy rack, racks up tackles in bunches. He's been solid in coverage in the past. Again, getting to be a little older player, but this might not be a player that's bad to take a flyer on if he is willing to be a backup because they think Cody Barton is the guy next to Jordan Brooks. And if Martinez can't get that starting opportunity somewhere, then maybe Seattle could be a good fit because he has played in a similar scheme. So I don't know that this happens, but absolutely, if I'm John Schneider, I'm making a phone call and seeing if you can maybe sign him because Nick Ballor right now is the only backup that you have. You have a couple of guys you like in your practice squad that you want to develop, like Tanner Muse, Vi Jones, but 
They didn't make your 53-man roster for a reason. You have your questions about their readiness to play on defense if they have to. Nick Ballore is 33 and has not played extensive defensive snaps since really 2016. It's been a long time since he's done that, so it'd be asking a lot out of him if he had to play snaps on defense on Sundays as well. So Martinez, I think, would be a really intriguing fit. I just don't know that it's going to work out unless – there aren't any other teams out there that can offer a starting opportunity. And then Martinez, you can't be picky. If you want to be on a roster, the Seahawks can at least present that opportunity to you. And if Barton struggles, then maybe Martinez could play. Cause this is a guy that's again, racked up a ton of tackles in his career and has been extremely productive in the NFL. So he'd be worth a flyer worth kicking the tires on. I just don't know if the Seahawks are going to do that. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they do though, because this guy has been a very productive player for a long time. Next question here coming from Chase Rydell. If Lamar Jackson doesn't get extended by the Ravens, do you think the Seahawks could try to trade for him next spring? I've actually talked about this a few times earlier on our show. And again, our listeners, sometimes when I start talking about a topic like this, they immediately think, oh, this, this is what's going to happen. You know, Corbett Smith says the Seahawks are trading for Lamar Jackson. I have never said that. I have just hypothesized the possibility because everyone knows that John Schneider likes to swing a big hammer. We've seen the Jamal Adams trade. We've seen the trade for Jimmy Graham, Percy Harvin. They've never had to make that type of a trade for a quarterback because Russell Wilson's been under center the last 10 years. I highly doubt that this would happen just because Seattle's moving on from Russell Wilson in part because they had reservations about paying him that kind of money and Lamar Jackson's playing style. I want to talk about a quarterback in Russell Wilson that might not have a really good aging process because the way he plays the game, Lamar Jackson's even more reliant on his legs and being a mobile threat than what Russell Wilson ever has been. So who knows what the trajectory looks like for him long-term. But for the next couple of years minimum, he is a just fantastic playmaker, and he's a better passer than advertised. Think of the receivers he's thrown to there, too. Baltimore has never had DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. Even D. Eskridge is going to stack up favorably with a lot of the receivers that Baltimore has put out there for him. Now, he's had some very good tight ends playing with the Ravens, and he got an MVP in part because he was able to take advantage of throwing to those tight ends and hitting on some big plays downfield to his average at best receiving group. Lamar Jackson playing in Seattle's offense would be so much fun because of his ability to run the football, and he's an underrated passer. I'd love to see what he could do with the receivers that they have. But again, this is not me saying that I expect this is happening. I'm not projecting it. I think it's very unlikely that Lamar Jackson finds a way to the Pacific Northwest. If I had to be a betting man, I still think the Baltimore Ravens are going to find a way to work this out and extend Lamar Jackson. You don't let an MVP quarterback of his age in the prime of his career, just walk away. They will find a way to knock this out. They'll franchise him next offseason if they don't have a deal in place. I don't expect the Ravens to be that team that said, you know what, we're just going to pull the plug and trade and get a bunch of draft picks. I don't think Seattle's interested in sending multiple first-round picks, multiple second-round picks back over the Ravens and halting their rebuilding process to an extent. So while it sounds intriguing and you know John Schneider – is going to look into it. If that is a possibility, I would be really surprised if the Seahawks ended up with Lamar Jackson next spring or really at any point, just considering the state of the franchise and how they apparently viewed the quarterback position in terms of what they're willing to pay as well. Next question, Bud Rivers. How come Marquise Blair hasn't been signed with anyone yet? 
Well, there's a couple reasons why this is going on. I think the most obvious one, Bud, is that Marquise Blair has been injured a lot. He's only played in eight regular season games the last two years. He's still a very young player, and he does bring some positional versatility. He's played extensive snaps in the slot. He can play He can play free and strong safety. He can play special teams. He did have a forced fumble on a kick coverage rep earlier in the preseason. So this is a player that when he is right – can be a difference maker. He's just been hurt so much that teams aren't necessarily lining up and racing to sign him. I expect he's going to get an opportunity sooner rather than later, though it might not be what he was expecting. Pete Carroll mentioned this after his press conference on Tuesday that they made that move in part because they wanted to give Marquise Blair an opportunity to be able to play. He made it sound like starting almost as if Blair was kind of a mutual decision to move on from him I don't know if that starting opportunity is going to be there for him, at least from the outset. He's going to have to go somewhere and work his way into the starting lineup when you've only played in eight games the previous two seasons. And he, quite frankly, was average in those eight games. He was never able to transform the production from training camp a few years ago into regular season reps. The injuries played a big role in that. But he's going to have to work his way up, prove he can stay healthy and show he can be reliable and dependable I don't know that there's a team just jumping at the bit to sign him as a starter right now. It could also be a case where a few weeks in the season, a team has an injury at the safety position and suddenly Marquise Blair looks much more appealing. So I think he will get his opportunity coming soon, but I'm not necessarily surprised that teams have not just been jumping to sign him or that he's been jumping to sign with somebody's practice squad either. I'm not sure that he was interested in doing that and thought that he would have a little more interest than this on the open market. We'll see what happens, but I'm not surprised that it's taken him a little longer to find a new team. Santino, who do you think is the most trade-worthy player on our team as of right now? Well, this is an interesting question because I think you have to interpret it different ways. When you say most trade-worthy, are we talking about, about which player would net you the most compensation return, or is it the player that would make the most sense to trade right now? It's kind of an open-ended question. So I'm going to look at it from both perspectives. And we're talking about the player that's going to fetch you the most in return, DK Metcalf right now, even with the new contract he just signed. I mean, that might be a reason to get even more draft ammo from a team that needs help at receiver. Metcalf is probably the player that would bring you the most draft capital. And I'd say Charles Cross is a close second. When you have a young left tackle that was a top 10 pick that's in the first year of his rookie deal, that is a player that would draw a lot of attention from other teams. And because of his youth and the fact that he is under club control for the next four years, that would be a player that would be coveted if available. The Seahawks are not going to be trading either one of those players. So if you're looking from a realistic standpoint after this year, maybe Tyler Lockett becomes a player because he's getting to be a little older receiver. Maybe you could trade him and get a day two selection and maybe a day three selection on top of that. With his contract, that might be kind of tough given his age, but Lockett would be a player maybe that falls in that line. Jamal Adams, you're certainly not going to get back what you traded the Jets, not close, but that might be a player that if he has a really good season in the first year of his extension, that maybe you could get somebody to give up a day two pick for if you wanted to move on from again. I'm not suspecting that's going to happen, but those two players, Quandre Nick is going to be 30. So I don't know what his trade market would necessarily look like, but if he has another Pro Bowl, that would be a player that might draw some interest. So those are the players that would have the most value. Jordan Brooks being another one of them. Daryl Taylor, some of those young guys that have already shown flashes of being potential Pro Bowl or All-Pro talents. Those are players that would have a lot of value on the market. As far as players that 
maybe are most trade-worthy in terms of you're wanting to move them right now. Well, they would be hoping they could get something for LJ Collier, but I don't see that happening. Maybe D. Eskridge, if he can have some good games, maybe the Seahawks feel like they can upgrade receiver. That might be a name that can be floated out there because he's still a pretty young player in his second season. But they don't necessarily have a lot of players that really fit that bill right now that you're looking to move. They're certainly not going to be trading away players like Daryl Taylor, Jordan Brooks, Charles Cross, DK Metcalf, Lockett. Anybody like that? Maybe by midseason, I would throw this out there. The Seahawks are having a really poor season. Tyler Lockett might be somebody that they could maybe get, fetch a really nice draft pick for before the trade deadline. That is one caveat that I would throw to this. An older veteran like that, that you have several years of club control, that might be somebody if the Seahawks really feel like, all right, this season we're pretty much done with. We need to continue our youth movement. They might be able to trade somebody like that. They just extended digs, so I don't think they'd go down that avenue. But those kind of players that are in late 20s, early 30s, that have multiple years under contract can immediately bolster a playoff contender. Those might be names to watch at that point. But right now, John Schneider's not jumping to the bit to trade any of those guys. So I wouldn't be anticipating we'll see any of that anytime soon. Which quarterback, this is from Axie Tune, which QB do we target in the draft next year and why? So I'm going to give an answer that's not necessarily the one that maybe you were looking for here. I don't have a quarterback at this stage. And even if I did, I don't know that I would disclose it necessarily. But there is not one quarterback from this class coming up in 2023 that I'm just sitting there like the Seahawks have got to get their hands on this guy. And it's different than last year. It's not because it's a class that doesn't have talent. It's the opposite. There's two or three quarterbacks minimum in this group that I think look like they could be special franchise caliber quarterbacks. But the real question comes down to who is going to be that best fit once we get to the end of this season. College football season is just now getting started. And so Bryce Young, reigning Heisman winner at Alabama, he's going to have tons of first overall pick projections just because of that he's coming from the premier college program they've been able to kick out some good quarterbacks as of late Heisman winner he's getting all kinds of buzz for that number one pick CJ Stroud at Ohio State the Buckeyes have had a hard time with quarterbacks translating the NFL but Stroud might be the guy that finally bucks that trend this guy has an incredible football IQ his physical tools including his arm strength off the charts had a phenomenal year last year, and I'm expecting him to have an even better season this season. Stroud might be, at this point, higher than Bryce Young on my list, but it's very early. We're just getting into the games this season. And Will Levis from Kentucky, that would be another player that I think has a chance to play into that discussion for that number one, number two overall pick, being the first quarterback off the board. Levis has great physical tools, athletic runs really well, sometimes takes risks hurtling and things like that. I mean, he is an exciting playmaker. There's certainly some risk with him, makes some poor decisions at times, but he's got incredible highlight tape playing in the SEC. So you've got two SEC quarterbacks. You've also got the Big Ten star and Stroud. There are other good quarterbacks in this class that could play their way into top 10 consideration. But right now, to me, those are the three that are at the top. So if you're wanting a blue chip franchise quarterback early in the first round, those would be the three that I would think the Seahawks right now would have the most interest in. But certainly some other names could play into that discussion. And last question coming here from Connor. Under the radar, player on each side of the ball, you expect to surprise people. 
this season. So starting on the offensive side of the football, it's tough to come up with an under-the-radar player for the Seahawks on offense because everybody knows about Rashad Penny, what he did end of last year. DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are two of the premier star receivers in football. Noah Fant is a player that's got high expectations. The numbers haven't necessarily been there in Denver. It's hard to find that guy that's really a sleeper at the skill positions. I'm going to throw Dariq Young on there just because this is a player that's already surpassed expectations and he's got such natural athletic tools that not many receivers have with that 6'2", 225-pound frame, 4'4 speed, sub 6'9 second, three-cone time can jump through a building. This kid is going to be a really good football player. The question is going to be how quickly is he going to be able to become a receiver who can make an impact on Sundays. The drops have been something that's been a little worrisome at times in his first training camp preseason, not as much as his teammate Bo Melton, their other seventh-round pick. But I think Dariq Young is one of those guys that could be kind of like David Moore was the beginning of his career in Seattle, where Early on, not a lot of opportunities, but then when the light switch comes on, he could be somebody that puts together some big plays for in the passing game. And he's already got a good rapport with Drew Locke. I expect that to carry over with Geno Smith as well. Those two have been seen connecting quite a bit in practice. So I think Dariq Young is probably that sleeper to watch on offense. As for defense, I'm going to go deep, deep sleeper here. And it's a player that had a great preseason. A lot of times those kind of players, they get on the roster, but then they don't get a lot of opportunity in the regular season. I don't think that is the case at all with Miles Adams. I think Miles Adams is ready to play a fair number of snaps in pass rushing situations. The Seahawks have a lot of depth and talent along their defensive line. So I don't know that he's necessarily going to get a ton of snaps, but he's going to get opportunities to pin his ears back and rush the passer from the interior. He is a penetrating defensive tackle. He's shown what he can do in the preseason, had two really good games in the regular season last year. He's played well in practice. I don't think this is just one of those he can do it in the preseason, but he can't in a regular season type ordeals. I think Miles Adams is a player to watch. He might be able to get you three or four sacks as a situational rusher from the interior. That would be a big boost for Seattle's defensive line that already has a pretty good group of defensive tackles. So he's kind of my sleeper to keep an eye on that isn't just a preseason darling, could be a key contributor rushing the passer from the interior for the Seahawks. Up next, we're getting close to the start of the regular season, 10 days away from week one when the Seahawks and Broncos battle at Lumen Field. That means it's time for yearly fantasy projections. The Seahawks not getting a lot of love on the offensive side of the football in the post-Russell Wilson era. I'm going to be taking a look at NFL.com's projections and examining whether they're too low, too high, or just right. Coming up here next on our show. Again, to our 12s listening, thanks as always for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. And make sure to check out the Ultimate Pro Football Preview 2022 an eight-episode extravaganza to get you ready for the NFL season. The local team of experts here at Locked On Podcast Network, plus a betting angle from Lee Sterling of Locked On Bets, will all be combining into one ultimate NFL preview. Search for Ultimate Pro Football Preview 2022 on your Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, it's officially fantasy football season. If you haven't picked your team yet, getting low on time here with the regular season set to start next week. A lot of fans have been messaging both myself and Rob Rang with questions about how they should handle picking Seahawks for their fantasy team. I will admit straight up, not necessarily the fantasy football expert I've played, but not somebody that like lives and dies 
lives and breathes uh, fantasy football. But certainly I pay attention, especially to Seattle's projections going into the season. So turning this into a little bit of a game for the 12s that are listening to the show here, we're going to play too low, too high, or just right, looking at a number of NFL.com's fantasy projections for the Seahawks this season. So let's get to it here. Going to start at the quarterback position, Geno Smith. He's been named the starter over Drew Locke. And there were a number of projections, passing yardage, total points. I'm going to go with touchdowns for this one because I found this a little interesting. Geno Smith, 24.72 touchdowns. That's the projection on NFL.com for all 17 games. So not much over a touchdown per game, but he comes in at 18th. And Russell Wilson, surprisingly, is only a few spots ahead of him. I thought Wilson might be in the top 10, but he is not. So keeping those couple factoids in mind, is this number too high? Is it too low? Or is it just right? Well, I'm going to say in this one that it's just right. Because I think with the weapons that Geno Smith has, I've talked about it time and time again. I think a 25 touchdown season is not out of the question, especially if he manages to start all 17 games. That's really not that high of a goal to set for 17 games. So I think 25 touchdowns, in this case 24.72, is more than reasonable. When you've got DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Noah Fant, he's going to have a strong running game to go with him to complement the passing game it feels like the opportunities are going to be there for him to throw a fair number of touchdowns. So finishing 18th might not seem great, but considering the quarterback situation going into the season, a lot of the rankings having him and Drew Locke in the low 30s and high 40s for quarterbacks in the league, if you could finish 18th in touchdowns, that would be quite an accomplishment. And really it would give the Seahawks a chance to surprise in the win-loss column too if they can get that kind of production. But I think that's the kind of stuff that Geno Smith can do. Not going to light the world on fire, but I could see him throwing 25, 26 touchdowns if everything falls in line. So I think this is just right. Now, let's go to his backfield counterpart here, Rashad Penny. Rashad Penny coming off that phenomenal finish to last season, led the NFL in rushing yards the last six games, had four games with over 130 rushing yards, two of those to end the season with over 170 Average almost seven yards per carry. It was one of the best six-game stretches to close out a season by a running back in NFL history. It was Barry Sanders-like in terms of numbers, but he's had so many issues with injuries. And so that's why this number, you got to you know, look at it a little bit wide-eyed just because of his history. He finished with under 800 rushing yards last year, but it was a career high, and most of that production came in those final six games. NFL.com right now is projecting 1,284 rushing yards for Rashad Penny. That is the third highest projection on NFL.com. And I will say this from a talent perspective, absolutely Rashad Penny can be a top three running back for the Seahawks. If they can keep him healthy, he can win a rushing title. But there's a few factors here to consider. He hasn't been able to stay healthy for an entire season since coming into the league. I think he's going to play more games this year than he has which gives him a chance to be in contention for a rushing title. But you've also got Ken Walker III, who's going to be back at some point early in the season. And he's going to be a little bit of a fantasy handcuff from rushing yards and touchdown perspective. You have DJ Dallas and Travis Homer as well. I don't know that Rashad Penny's necessarily going to get enough carries to finish in the top three in rushing yards. I think the talent is clearly there. He stays healthy, then he's got a chance. But for me, this one's a pretty easy too high. I think that right now, a thousand yards, if he can get to that thousand yard mark, 
then that right there by itself is quite an accomplishment given his injury history. The fact Seattle's passing game might not be overly great and they're going to have two rookies playing the tackle positions. The run game might not be as good as everybody's anticipating, even though it was great in the preseason. There are a lot of question marks here. So I think Penny could be a fairly safe pick as a running back in the middle rounds, but I don't know that I'd be jumping for somebody that might be the third best in terms of rushing yards, just because of the durability history first and foremost when I'm trying to figure out my running back situation. Let's go to the outside at receiver, DK Metcalf. Last year at a career high, 12 touchdowns. NFL.com, I was a little surprised by this one. 7.74 touchdowns, which comes in 14th on the list for projections this season. I'm just going to be straight up. That is too low. We're talking about DK Metcalf here. Six foot three, 230 pounds, a matchup nightmare. He's had double-digit touchdowns each of the last two seasons. And another reason that I'm bullish on this one being way too low. If he and Geno Smith did not show something last year, I might actually say this is just about right because of the drop-off in quarterback play. But these two hooked up for four touchdowns last year in the four games they played. And two of DK Metcalf's top three games receiving yardage-wise were with Geno Smith under center. So that was not an issue for Geno and DK. These two hit it off when they were playing together last year. I'm expecting that to carry over to an extent. Maybe they aren't quite as explosive this year as full-time players together, but I expect that connection is going to be at the forefront again for the Seahawks this year. So I think at least nine or 10 touchdowns when you're talking about a player with the size and physical tools DK Metcalf has and the connection he's got with Geno Smith. I think 7.74 is really low, especially with the big contract he was just given. He's going to want to show that he earned that deal. I think double-digit touchdowns for DK Metcalf. So that one is too low for me. And staying at the receiver position, Tyler Lockett, this is another one that – this one I was actually torn on because even though Lockett has been averaging almost 85 receptions per year the last three seasons, that was with Russell Wilson, this might be a player that has impacted more – by the quarterback change. He did have a 100-yard receiving game against the Jaguars last year with Geno Smith under center. But the other three games that these two guys played together, the connection was not near as solid as it was for Geno Smith with DK Metcalf. And so maybe this projection is on to something. Metcalf might have much bigger numbers just because of the rapport that he has with Geno Smith. At the same time, in training camp, you saw quite a few plays from Tyler Lockett. He's still an elite route runner, still one of the best receivers in the game. I just can't see him finishing with under 75 receptions this year. So I'm going to go too low on this one, though I was leaning almost to just right because there is going to be a drop-off in receptions for Lockett and Metcalf this year with the quarterback situation. They're, they might be better off than people realize or expect, but the numbers are not going to be quite as good as they were with Russell Wilson at quarterback. That being said, 72 receptions, that's, that's pretty darn low for a player of Tyler Lockett's skill, especially with him excelling in the shorter passing game. He is going to get a lot of targets. He's going to get a lot of opportunities to catch the football. So that one to me seems too low. Now let's go to the tight end position. Last one here on offense, Noah Fant has never had more than four touchdown receptions in a season. So 4.53 touchdowns, that comes in at 14th. I actually thought about saying a little too high on this one just because of his track record, but at the same time, Geno Smith has shown he will throw the ball to tight ends. He'll use the middle of the field. And with the weapons that they've got on the outside in Metcalf and Lockett, if D. Eskridge plays up to expectations, stays healthy, 
that a lot of one-on-one advantageous situations should be out there for Noah Fant, particularly in the red zone. And I think that presents an opportunity for him to score more touchdowns than he ever has. That being said, I'm going to go with just right because eventually there's going to be somebody that's numbers are going to flatline a little bit of this offense, especially if Metcalf and Lockett are still getting the bulk of targets their way. You've also got Colby Parkinson who might be that touchdown vulture in the tight end group. Will Disley in the past has caught some touchdowns. It hasn't translated the last couple of years, but it feels like there's enough weapons for Geno Smith to throw to when they get in the red zone. It might not necessarily be the best situation for Noah fans. So I could see him easily going over four, but 4.53, that four to five range, I'm going to say that it's just right given the other players around him. He could easily go above it if this offense really clicks and he becomes a go-to guy in the red zone. Then he could break out this year and have seven, eight, nine touchdowns. But maybe if you're playing it safe here in fantasy, that would be rolling the dice a lot with his track record, the other players around him. I could see some good reception numbers, but let's go with just right on this one. And last but not least, if you are a fantasy player, obviously defense is still an important thing. You don't pick individual players in most leagues, but the defense for the Seahawks coming in at 23rd on NFL.com's projections, 109.78 points. So bottom third of the NFL Based on the way the Seahawks have played defensively the last couple of years, this seems like a reasonable expectation. But if this team is going to exceed the low expectations win-loss-wise that are out there without Russell Wilson, without Bobby Wagner, the defense is going to have to be better, and I think that it will be. I'm not going to go as far as saying this is a top-10 fantasy defense. I can see them being a top 10 unit by the end of the season. There's a lot of really good pieces at all three levels. You've got two stud safeties. You've got a couple young rookie corners you really like. Sidney Jones and Artie Burns have shown they can play, had really good training camps, went healthy. Jordan Brooks in the middle. You're hoping Cody Barton takes that step and becomes a solid starter alongside him. The depth they have at defensive line, the young, intriguing pass rushers they have. The Seahawks should have a defense that has playmakers at all three levels. And if Clint Hurt can dial things up schematically, Sean Desai pitches in, Carl Scott in the secondary, this unit has a chance to be a really solid one. And maybe by the end of the season, a top 10 unit. I'm not going to go that far with fantasy, but 23rd to me, that feels a bit too low. I could see this team finishing middle of the pack being 14, 15, 16, 17 range for fantasy points. Because I do have some reservations. Is the pass rush going to be able to put everything together? You've got some injuries there. There are questions about depth at linebacker. Can Cody Barton be the starter? You've had some injuries in the secondary. You might be starting two rookies who have earned those opportunities, but they still are rookies in Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant. So NFL quarterbacks, your starters are going to go right after those rookies. There's going to be some growing pains. And so there's certainly some reasons to be pessimistic, at least early in the season. But I think 23rd, is quite a bit too low for a defense that I think has a much higher ceiling than that. I think they're going to be middle of the pack and maybe a team that's peaking late in the season from a fantasy perspective. I certainly think there are a lot of teams that you could do worse with. There's certainly some other teams out there with more established uh, dominance the last couple seasons that probably be better fits if you're wanting to go defense fairly early in your fantasy draft. But I don't think the Seahawks would necessarily be a bad selection. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, streaming five days a week 
on YouTube. When we come back on Monday, Rob Rang will be rejoining me and we will be launching our first regular season game week and start taking a look at Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy your last weekend without football for several months. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.